And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11. This morning we're going to talk about burden bearing and burden sharing. And uh, by God's grace, our hearts will be encouraged uh, to walk in obedience to the things that God has for us and before us. I wonder this morning uh, how you would respond to the question, what is the burden that God has placed on your heart? Now, there are different kinds of burdens. There are burdens that cause anxiety and, uh, if you will, an emotional paralysis. I'm not talking about that kind of burden. I'm talking about the kind of burden that captures your attention and, in a good way, threatens to take over and redirect the course of your entire life. And uh, by God's grace and Lord willing, the life of our church family. Uh, This is a text that talks about a man who got a burden from God. And a man who responded to that burden with, with total surrender. Uh, what some would term probably as reckless. So that he could be used mightily and powerfully by God himself. The background of the story, if I just give a quick look at the background. In 605 through 586, as Doug shared with us, Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, The city comes under the judgment of God that God had promised for the turning away of hearts. That event happens in 605. In the book of Ezra, the very beginning of the book just preceding, and and many scholars will tie these two books together of Ezra and Nehemiah, a pagan king rises up who has a new view of the world that he has conquered. He has just defeated Babylon, really the golden kingdom of the ancient world. So he's got a lot going for him. He's got a lot of clout. His new system (coughs) seeks to rebuild conquered countries and then collect taxes from them. I thought this guy could run for president in the United States. (laughs) All right, so his goal, he he go raise up Jerusalem. The first thing he tells him to do under a man named Ezra, uh, or actually a man named Zerubbabel, Ezra will record the story. He sends a man named Zerubbabel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, not the city walls, but the temple itself. Now that's approximately 93 years before Nehemiah comes on the scene. And here's what you need to know. If you go back and read the book of Ezra, you're going to find that 49,000 plus people return back to Jerusalem from Babylon. Purpose, rebuild the temple and settle the city. 93 years later, a man named Nehemiah comes on the scene he, he lives with a burden for the glory of God and the people of God and the city of God. And that, that burden is a life-controlling passion that is settling on him in increasing measure. When you come to the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, you'll find that a man named Hanani has come back from the area of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, because his Wi-Fi was down at that time, Nehemiah is <laughs> profoundly curious about what's going on hundreds of miles away, which it's hard for us to grasp this. News happens, we know it. Nehemiah is living with the burden to know what is God doing? What is the assessment of the city where God's name stands? And when he hears the story, you, you remember the story, it breaks his heart and brings him to a place of tears. Well, 
now Nehemiah has broached the subject with the king. He has gotten permission to go back into the land of Jerusalem and not only to assist with the restoration of the temple, but also to rebuild the city itself. Boldly request help and resources to do that. This is the unfolding or the exposition, if you will, of the burden of Nehemiah. He's a man that is distinguished. He has a prestigious job. He is a trusted, confidant of the, of the king. But he is a burden from God that is more important than the comfort and status of his own life. And that burden that is settling on Nehemiah is, is turning his heart and altering the passions and direction of his life in a fundamental and profound way. He just can't be the same. Knowing that such a need exists and no one is standing up and taking responsibility for the need is, is it's driving him crazy internally. And so he asked for a sabbatical from his work and for permission to go back to the land of Jerusalem to rebuild the city. I ask this question when I read through a text like this. I ask, why did God record this story in Scripture? What is the, why does this text exist? What is the message? What is the lesson that God wants you and I to gain as we read through this story of Nehemiah? And I believe at a practical level it is to show how God works for His glory by burdening individuals with the passion to do the will and work of God. And as individuals surrender to the hand of God and become an instrument in God's hand, God takes individuals that I think we could relegate not to pieces of art but to old paintbrushes. And He takes them and uses them to draft on the, if you will, the tapestry of time the work of God. Nehemiah is one of those individuals who offers himself up to God passionately, fully, completely. He wants to be used by God more than he wants anything else. And folks, I want to tell you, I, there are days where I wish that I had that kind of a heart that wanted God's will so much that every other passion and desire and goal that I have in life would be seconded to that. And that that would be the, the new way that I live for the glory of God, really and fully. Well, Nehemiah has let this burden from God settle. And it is beginning to change his life. I want to work our way through this text, looking at a leader named Nehemiah. And I want you to watch his relationship to the burden. How this sense of responsibility, this sense of something must be done begins to settle on a man and begins to alter the course and nature of his life. Now, here's what you may say. You may say, yeah, but Pastor Tim, Nehemiah was a leader, right? So this would be a sermon for leaders. So I can check out. And there aren't really relevant lessons in Nehemiah's life that apply to my life. And I would say to you this. I would say it depends on your definition of leadership. I think leadership can be summarized in one word. And that word from a practical level is influence. And I would argue that every person in this room, irregardless of age, is influencing somebody. And here's what happens in Nehemiah. The burden of God for the purposes of God to restore the glory of God settles on him as a passion, as a driving force in his life, and it begins to alter this man. The first question you have to ask is, how did the burden get there? How did the burden get there? 
Look with me, if you will, in verse 11 of chapter 2. Nehemiah is now back in Jerusalem. And it says, I went to Jerusalem after, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night. So he completes this journey. God has already given him all the provision he needs for this, all of the permission he needs to get this job done. And he's now finally in the city that his heart has been burning to be part of. And he gets up after the third day and sets out during the night with a few men. And I want you to notice the next phrase because I think this is the key to this text. He says, I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Uh, Folks, that's how we should crave to live. To say, God, settle into my life a burden. Put something that is weighty into my life that begins to alter the course of how I live, the decisions I make, the priorities I live by. And I think this is crucial because this burden finds its origin in God Himself. Nehemiah understands that this sense that has settled on his life this this objective this purpose is God's purpose it's God's task God's will God's plan for Nehemiah's life you see there are burdens that produce worry anxiety fear and hand-wringing and paralysis and then there are burdens that will wake you up and give your life a purpose And it is then that you will begin to enjoy life. Not the selfish pursuit of what you're looking for, a quasi-happiness. But to get in the groove of the will of God. And to get on the leading edge of that wave and say, God, I, I want to embrace the burden that you are allowing to settle in my heart. I'll define burden this morning as a burning desire, a conviction from God that cannot be ignored. Now, I, because we're in the, in, in the political season, we're in, the, in the, the painful process of primaries. And I honestly, I, I think to myself, who amongst these individuals has a burden of that kind, a life-altering burden, desire, to be the man or woman of God? Which one burns with something that they cannot escape that is unavoidable and that they cannot successfully escape? That would make a very wonderful president. In Jeremiah 20, we find Jeremiah talking about this same kind of event here. And here's what Jeremiah says about this idea of burdens from God. He says, after God has called him to become a a man who proclaims the word of God, he says, if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. I cannot. It is literally energizing and transforming and activating the heart of Jeremiah. Nehemiah is a similar kind of man. God has let something settle into his heart, a a work of God that he wants to see him do. And Nehemiah is driven by that the rest of his life. Someone that is a person of influence 
freely receives the burden that God causes to settle into their life. And I, I want you to ask a question with me this morning. I want you to ask this question. How do I know if the burden that I feel, the sense of calling, the sense of shift in my life, how do I know if that burden, that desire, that word that I'm sensing, how do I know if that's from God? And I want you to think through how Nehemiah responds to the call of God in his own life. First of all, in, in chapter 1 and verse 4, you find that when, when Nehemiah hears about the situation that's present in Jerusalem, it breaks his heart and drives him to his knees in prayer. And in that place, what does he find? He finds an affirmation from God as he prays. It increases and energizes and calls Nehemiah to action. Secondly, you'll know that Nehemiah is familiar with the Word of God. He knows the call of God on the city of Jerusalem. And so that word of God, as he hears it and as he rehearses it, causes that burden that this is the place of God where the glory of God is to be revealed. That burden builds. And then you find that Nehemiah begins to share this burden with people around him. And what does he find? He finds an affirmation amongst people around him that this is the will of God. And then the last thing, which is why we often avoid the will of God, is that when Nehemiah sets out to do the will of God, you find that there is a rising opposition. And I don't like opposition. I like a smooth road. I like to think when I'm doing the will of God, things go well. And when I'm outside of the will of God, things go poorly. Okay, and if you think that, you would be wrong. You would be wrong. This burden settles on Nehemiah. He affirms that it is a burden that God has given. And here, I think, is the first principle that I would impress upon you this morning. It is very important that we as believers, as children of God, seeking to do the will of God in a church that's getting ready to take big steps to do the work of God, it is important that we have our hearts and our ears tuned to what God is saying. Nehemiah could say, God put it in my heart and that conviction was so deep that it completely transformed the trajectory of this man's life now i'll say this to you some refer to god speaking directing affirming impressing in different ways folks i don't know how it works for you but i know that if you're a child of god's he wants to be directing your life he wants to be guiding and leading you the, to his passions, his burdens, his purposes. He wants to be doing that in our lives. And the question I think that we have to wrestle with is, am I now listening and seeking to hear from God? And I also want to say this. In this text, there is an important relationship between the word, prayer, and relationships that Nehemiah is involved in that assist in affirming that this is the will of God walk in it so let god bring the burden embrace it confirm it and then walk in it for the glory of god when you know what it is of god act even if even if it disrupts the normal routines of your life folks listen nehemiah had a coveted position as the king's cup bearer as his food taster now i don't know about you but i I really like to eat. And I think I would have wrestled with jealousy of Nehemiah's job. It's like, Nehemiah, what do you do? I am an eater. <laughs> like, 
And I'm, I'm good at it. I'm devoted, God. Keep me in this role, okay? I, mean, I enjoy this job. I would have stepped up and said, God, I'll do that job. It sounds like an awesome job. What does God do? God shakes his world, takes him out of, and I'm being humorous when I say that. The importance of his job was that he had the ear of the king. He was an eater who had the ear of the king and could take that God-given opportunity and that task to unleash the burden of God and watch the king's heart in the hand of the Lord shift and direct as he freely accepts the burden that God is placing on him. So I challenge you first to think, what is the burden, the conviction that God has haunted you with and hounded you with by his spirit that he, he keeps bringing it up again through a person or through the word read or spoken through a song that you're listening to on the radio and it's like he continues to knock at the door of your heart saying this, not that. And what's it going to cost you? And how willing are you to give up normal routine which we all love. We love security. And with Nehemiah, God's call comes with a radical sense of transformation. He's going to go be the governor of a city that has been destroyed. His aim, to remove the disgrace of the city whose gates are broken and burned and to raise the hopes of the people of God who are languishing there. He can't abide it. He can't sit in his comfortable job and his comfortable life knowing that the people of God are broken and suffering. And the thinking on that and the praying on that and the talking about that and the requesting over that begins to shape into a burden that Nehemiah takes on and runs with for the will of God and the glory of God. May God help us. Now, when a leader receives a burden from God, a person gets a sense that God wants me to do something. What's the first thing they do? I think many of us have a tendency to want to go talk to someone about it. You know what Nehemiah did? He went and talked to God. Nehemiah went and prayed, sought clarification from God. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 1, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days and mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. What is Nehemiah doing? In private, he is cultivating this burden that he senses from God and confirming that it is in fact from God. Chapter 2, verse 13. In Jerusalem. And I'll just I'll pick up in verse 12. He says, I set out during the night with a few men and I had not told any of them what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. You know, if you're those guys, what are you thinking? Hey, Nehemiah, what are we doing? Can't talk about it right now. What are you looking at? Why are you looking at that rubble and those burned gates? And you can hear the distress in the, in the thoughts of the, the men that are there. They've been languishing. Nothing's happened. They're in disgrace. But a Messiah type has come to walk among them. A man with a burden from God has come to bring deliverance and help through a life freely given to that purpose and aim. He says, there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. What is Nehemiah doing? He's verifying the word that came to him from Hananiah in verse 4, that the city lies in ruin. Nehemiah says, I'll look at that for myself. 
And as he goes around, he validates that. It says, then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and I re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I had not, as yet had not said anything to the Jews or the priest or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. I'm like, wow. What is Nehemiah doing? He is carrying this burden first as a personal responsibility from God, confirming it, making sure that he's got it right. He is a man who talked to God before he talked to people. And folks, can I say this to you? If you decide to listen to the voice of God and begin to obey the call of God and the drive of God in your life, I can promise you this. At certain levels, it will be lonely. We are all at some level affected by something we teach our teens. It's called peer pressure. We all love to be liked, approved, and affirmed. Nehemiah was one to say, God, you put that burden and that conviction on my heart, and I will strive to lead your people in spite of what they desire from me. I will step out and be your man. So Nehemiah first develops a passion for the work of God. When When I read this in the context of Nehemiah coming, first hearing about the city broken. And the Bible says that he wept. I I couldn't help but make a connection between my Savior and Nehemiah. I couldn't help it. Matthew 9 says that when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept. He responded like Nehemiah did, not because of the fact that the city was in brokenness and disregard physically, because it wasn't. The city was fine in the day of Christ. The tragedy was even deeper. Nehemiah is a man who accepts the burden from God privately, sacrificially, in a life-altering way. Jesus comes, and, and with, for Nehemiah, what is there? There's risk. There's risk, which is another reason that we often avoid doing what God is putting on our heart on a regular basis. For Jesus Christ, when he comes, there is no risk. There is outright and total sacrifice. And so when I, when I look at Nehemiah now, I'm seeing a Christ-like figure, a type of Jesus who accepts a burden from God to bring about my forgiveness. Nehemiah at a lesser level to restore the glory of God in the city. Jesus to rescue people from their sin. He accepts a burden from God. And you'll remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus takes his disciples with him. He takes three a little bit further. And then he goes off alone to wrestle with God. To languish in the sacrifice that would be required to do the will of God. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let the cup pass. But in private, he says to his father, nevertheless, not what I want but what you want. You see, folks, when you begin to examine the call of God and the burden of God that he places in your heart, you're going to wrestle with the sacrifice that's required for what it's going to mean for your life. Nehemiah looked privately at it until he had a settled conviction that I'm ready. And I love that our Savior does the same thing as a man who sought to know and to fulfill the purposes of God. In verse 17, this text moved forward. Here's what God says. 
through his word. Nehemiah speaking to these men now. He says, you see the trouble we are in and that Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned with fire. And Nehemiah has now seen it for himself. He's gone out and he's examined it. And the burden is intensifying. He can no longer sit by. And, and I, I love what Nehemiah does now. He now begins to expose the burden to the people that live there. They, they know everything about what Nehemiah is saying. They know what it is to languish. They've experienced the disgrace of living in a broken city. Nehemiah says to them, come. Let us build the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Folks, do you get that? I've come to help you, but I refuse to function in isolation. The burden grew in isolation, but a, 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 a true leader, a true man or woman of God, a young person of God, understands that the work of God is always done in the context of team. Always. Very rarely will you look through the Testament and find solo people. You'll find that a Moses had Aaron, that a David had Jonathan, that an Esther had a Mordecai. There was, there was always this sense of context of relationship for burden bearing. And now he moves into the second phase of the text, which is burden sharing. Folks, God does not give you a burden to keep it to yourself. He gives you a burden. He lays it on your heart so that you can confirm that that is the will of God. And then you will seek to involve others in doing the will of God. That is the plan that God has established. Now, Nehemiah gives the call. The call is, and you've got to love this, after 93 years of frustration and fear and brokenness, let us rebuild the wall. All right, that's the, that's the cry that trumpets from the lips of Nehemiah. Powerful, powerful call to respond to what God is doing and to call other people to get involved. Now, I'm not going to go through chapter 3 this morning. We're... I want to just give a nod to it by saying this. If you read through chapter 3, you'll find list of names and people who are banded together to do the work. That's what chapter 3 in about 30 verses basically does. Okay, it just, it takes you through and it says, and next to him, and next to him, and next to them. And, and that's, that's the way the text unfolds. What is the, the thrust of that text? The thrust of that text is that God, through a man with a burden, is raising up a team of people leaders and sub-leaders, captains and co-captains, and basically they're teams that are working together to do great things. Okay, that's how God works. Read through the New Testament. God establishes the church as a body with many parts. He doesn't want solo acts. He doesn't need franchise players to motivate the team. He needs willing people. And Nehemiah stands before all of these people. He sees the brokenness. He tells them he has come under the call of God to lead a work for God, but that he cannot do it alone. And he issues the call. Let us rebuild this wall. And folks, that, that message of hope from an inspired, powerful leader must have been so wonderful and refreshing like a drink of water in the desert. The bottom line is that the leaders, good leaders, know the value of teams and they aim to build them. 
solid Christian people inevitably will have a solid ring of people around them that they stand together with for the glory of God. And folks, strong-willed people can last pretty long, but not effectively in the work of God. God wants us to be men and women who surround ourselves with a band of brothers or a band of sisters that say, I don't want to do this alone and I can't do this effectively alone. So let God put that burden in your heart to say, there's things that I know God wants me to do. Who does God want me to do that with? Ask the question and start to share the burden and begin to see what God will do. The Philadelphia Eagles, I loathe to mention the name a couple years back, hired a coach who had an unbelievable resume, enormous potential. And you would have thought that we would have gotten the playoffs, right, Ken? That's what you would have thought, and you hoped. And so you, if you say, well, what, why does someone like that fail? And the, the analysis of the brilliant Philadelphia fans on the fanatic radio station, okay? The analysis is this. This is a man who fundamentally lacked the ability to build relationships with people. A great coach with huge potential, unable to connect, unable to humble himself and seek help and direction and share the load of leadership and share the burden that had been put on him by a man named Jeffrey Laurie, who fired him and lost millions of dollars. That's how badly he wanted to get rid of someone who wasn't a team player. And often within the context of church life, we, look, either we tend to spectate or we tend to isolate. We don't understand that the call of God on the church is to rise together. I, I, one of my favorite texts, it's Philippians 1, I think it's verse 27. Paul says, when I hear about you, I want to hear that you are standing together as one man contending for the gospel. Paul says, that's what I want to hear. And folks, that, when I think about our church family, I think, God, what do we want? That we would be standing arm in arm in the purposes of God, contending as one man for the glory of God. To do what? To remove the disgrace of sin. And to remove the brokenness. You know what the church needs? It needs little Jesuses. Who don't care about their reputation. It needs Nehemiahs. Who are willing to say, you know what? If it takes a little more sacrifice of my time. And a little more of my life. I will suffer the inconvenience. So that the glory of God can come. And the disgrace of sin can fade. But folks. As I've looked at this text. The verse that just keeps running through my mind is the city is broken and the gates are burned and the people are in disgrace. And here's the question. Are you okay with that? Can you live in a world where... Okay, so a pet peeve. I get tired of Christians that complain. I get tired of Christians that, hey, it's never been this bad before. All right, what if you're right? Tell me how you're... My wife's here, I can't say that word. <laughs> Tell me how your rotten attitude is changing anything. 
And I'm going to tell you something. For people, my, us old people, 55 and above. John Whitehead, you and me. Okay? The young generation, when you talk like that, checks out. Well, they're already checked out. Because you're talking about their future. And you're doing nothing substantive to make a difference. You know what God needs? God needs men like Nehemiah and women like Esther who will embrace the burden of God and will say, I will advance the ball. When God hit, I will advance that ball. I will listen and validate that this is the will of God and walk in it. Here's what Esther said. If I perish, I perish. You know what Jesus said? I will perish. To give you a message that every person around you who is wrestling with brokenness and disgrace can be set free. And folks, I, instead of complaining about how dark it is, as one writer said, why doesn't the church start to light candles? Why don't we say to the darkness, light? Why doesn't the church become a place full of people who have a burden for something that God wants them to do? Who arm and arm with others stand and begin to say, you know what, we want this church this witness of God, to be what Jesus called it. You are the light of the world. And yes, it's dark, and you can talk about it all you want, but until you start to shine light, it's painful to listen. Until you express a burden about, how can God use me to make a difference? Folks, that's my desire and my prayer. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. But I want, I want God to put such a burden on me that I cannot escape it. And I want it to be a burden to see the disgrace and the brokenness in Washington, New Jersey, and this county and beyond. I want to see it go away. I want to see God put on us something that is inescapable like Nehemiah got. And the last thing I'll say to you real quick, and I'll just, I'll just do this. Uh, look at verse 18. Verse 18, it says, they replied. So Nehemiah says, let us rebuild this wall. A man who walked away from his job and embraced the purpose of God, a great sacrifice, stands. How do you not follow that guy? Let us rebuild this wall. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this, and I love the next word. They didn't begin the work. They began this good work. Folks, what God has called the church to do is worthy it's not something that you should weakly and anemically commit to. But that's where we often are as the church. We have a commitment that doesn't match up with the responsibility that we have. We have a commitment level that doesn't match up with the potential of what God could do. And I, I long to see the day when we as a church together not individuals. We are blessed with some wonderful people. And God has given us, I think, people that if they unleash their hearts and embrace the burden that God is placing on their hearts, I think we will see amazing things done. That's what I believe. And I'll, I'll, I just, I love the call. Let us start rebuilding. And they began the good work. John Piper says this to the church. He says, don't waste your life. Folks, we are all building something. Every one of you is trying to attain some kind of a goal in your life. Everyone. 
I just want to ask you the question, when you stand before God and when I stand before God, and my goal, my desire is put on display, what will I have to do? And where will I look? Will I look into his eyes with joy or at my feet in shame? Because I wouldn't take the burden that God had put on my heart. Because I just, that we would gain a vision for how God can reach into lives and begin to change them if we step up and say, God, use me. What God would do. What God would do. And Nehemiah ends by saying this. It says, oh, I... Verse 18. This is the one I wanted to read. Oh, oh, verse 18. I, mean, I wanted to tell you this. You, got, you have to see this. Here's what it says. He sa- I can't even see it. He says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. So how does he motivate them? He, he gives them a testimony. He shares a story with them of what God did. Nehemiah could raise his hand and say, I certifiably am a fool. I went in before the king looking distressed. He asked me what was wrong, and I unloaded on him. I unloaded on him. I withheld nothing that was in my heart. I put the whole burden on the table. And I have come to tell you of the gracious hand of God upon me. How does he motivate the people of God when he calls them? He tells them what God has already done. Folks, you want to know how to influence people around you? Start telling them of the great things that God has done for you. Start to be part of the redeemed that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say something. Stop being a manure spreader. Yes, it's bad out there, okay? Can we just, okay? But what are you going to do about it? What life are you going to touch? What burden is God settling on your heart that as we move forward as a church family for his glory, he wants to do through your life? Okay, so that's, that's kind of my sermon. Uh, and I just ask you, will you receive, pray, read, and share the burden that God brings to you? Will you do that? Will you first isolate with the burden, confirm it, in prayer. Go look at the nature of it. Understand what it's going to cost you because it is going to cost you. And then find some people that you can join together with and tell them what God has done. Tell them how he's moving in your world for his glory. And lock arm in arm with them. Act as if you actually need each other. And watch what God will do. Let me just pray before we sing. Father, as we contemplate your work among us, And as we contemplate the burden that individuals within this church family feel, God, may we search it out in secret, bearing burdens. And then may we share those secrets with the testimony of what God has done. Lord, unleash us to do more than we could ever ask or think. And God, forgive my lack of faith at times. And uh, amaze us with what you will do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.